You're listening to the Galatians Spying Out Our Liberty in Christ series, preached by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. If you have your Bibles with you, please go to Galatians chapter 6. So my wife was up here singing. She sang the special before, and then very last minute we got a call that the other person that was supposed to sing with us was um, throwing up, and so they wouldn't be here. And so last minute, she's got Miles in the bath, and she managed to get here on time to practice and sing. And uh, she's got many, many talents, and I love her, I appreciate her. And I say all that about her because i got to tell you something bad about her. <laughs> well, there, there's nothing bad about Tara. But i, I got to tell you, she's something she's not, I mean, in my opinion, not very good at. And, and she is very, very talented at a number of different things. But one of the things she's not great at thus far is growing a vegetable garden. Um, we've made an attempt for at least four years now. And the first year, I'll admit, it was kind of a thrown-together thing at last minute. She just wanted to plant some seeds, and so we took out the grass and, and tried to rough up the soil a little bit, and she planted some stuff. And, and, and a couple things grew. I think we got a couple tomatoes out of the deal. Um, but the next year, she decided that this was something she really wanted to do. And so for Christmas, or for her birthday, she was given um, a fence to put around it. We had some bunnies get in the year before. And so, so she set up uh, uh, a few things. And, and the, the, that year, I can't remember exactly what happened the second year, Tara. Was that? That was bunnies, too? I thought, okay, yeah. So, so the first year, we didn't, we didn't put up a, a good enough fence. And so the second, it was after that that she actually got everything for a real legitimate fence. And so the first, so that year, which is actually the second year, um, mostly got eaten by animals. I guess that's not her fault. But then the next year, when we had the real fence up, she planted a couple different things, most of which we don't actually eat. And so she thought red peppers were like the red sweet peppers, but they were hot peppers. And then I think she meant to plant, like, for big tomatoes, and we ended up with, like, a lot of cherry tomatoes, but um, nothing you can put on a hamburger. And so, um, <laughs> which is my kind of tomato. And then the, the year after that, I don't know what happened. I think stuff got planted and then never got touched from that point on. And so it grew, but nothing ever got taken out or eaten, or, and the, the whole thing just became like a jungle in there. And so I think this past year, there was just absolutely no attempt made in this garden area. And she says she has some really big plans for next year. So what I think that means is I have a lot of work to do, <laughs> and we're still not going to get anything out of it. But you never know. But I bring that up because what we have found after trying to grow a garden for a few years is that you only ever grow what you sow. You only ever reap the harvest that you plant. You don't get to reap sweet peppers if you plant hot peppers, right? If you never take the weeds out, that's what's going to grow there. They, the seeds fall there, and it's going to grow. And so you've got to be very diligent. I'm very thankful that we have the hookstras who actually have a good garden, and so we get some good stuff to eat. Because if it wasn't for that, what we've sown so far has not produced anything very edible. And I think this is insanely obvious when we're talking about gardens, we're talking about plants. But 
in our text tonight, Paul is going to share, us, share with us this principle that it's just as real for the spiritual life as, as it is for the physical. And listen, we know this is true all around us. You reap what you sow. So if your goal is to have excellent health and a good physique, then that doesn't just miraculously happen. It takes a lot of effort. It takes watching what you eat. It takes going to the gym. It takes all of this work. It's not miraculous. And so we get it when it comes to the physical, but it's so, it seems so strange that sometimes we think that our character, us becoming more like Christ, us following the Spirit and walking in the Spirit, is just going to miraculously happen without us putting any effort into place. And that is just not true. And so Paul has told them already in the book of Galatians, he spent the first four chapters sharing that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and apart from any works. That has been clearly established. Then we've gotten the practical Christian life, and when he's begun to speak about the practical Christian life, it's all been about... I can't speak. It's all been about the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. It's about growing fruit, spiritual fruit in our lives. And so he's going to continue this analogy because we're going to find out that you're not going to grow any spiritual fruit if you're not sowing to the Spirit. If you, all you ever do is sow to the flesh, if you plant seeds of the flesh, if you follow the flesh, if you feed your flesh, the only thing you will ever reap is worldly, fleshly things. And he's going to t- share with us that this chaos, it's destruction, it's corruption. So let's look at Galatians chapter 6. And we'll start reading in verse number 6. It says, Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Now, th- this sermon is going to have almost two parts. And this verse I want to deal with quickly. Now, these things, they are connected, but um, this verse kind of stands alone a little bit from the next four we'll get into. So here he says, Let him that, that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Let him that is taught. Now, who are the ones in, in this scenario being taught? Every, everybody here. Yeah. So, yeah, it's you guys. <laughs> yeah. And so, and, and so the Bible says here, Let him communicate with those who teach in all good things. Now, the word communicate, we usually, we usually think about verbally communicating. So I think what a lot of people think is that they, they hear this, and so it's like, okay, well, we're supposed to have a lot of verbal communication with our pastors. And the truth is that's, a, that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing, all right? And, and sometimes that kind of turns into we need to correct everything they say. And <laughs> that's not actually always bad. I do need feedback on my preaching. I, I like it when, you know, if I'm teaching heresy, I want somebody to tell me, Right? Um, so so it's, it's not a bad thing to have that kind of conversation, but that's not what this verse is talking about. It's not talking about verbal communication. The word here is, is share or distribute with. And the idea is, let him that, that is taught in the word, those who sit and listen to the teaching and the preaching of God's word, let him distribute or share with them, those teachers, in all good things. Okay? Now this is a verse that can be very awkward for teachers to speak about. Um, and I'm telling you here, this is what the Bible says. What, what this is saying is, it's right for you to take care of those people who, who teach you and preach to you the word of God. It is a good thing for you to take care of your pastors. I know there's some churches, and they, they almost take pride in the fact that their pastor just barely scrapes by. Okay? I mean, as a church, you shouldn't take pride in that. You should be longing and desiring to take care of your pastor as well. 
In fact, the Bible speaks about this on a number of occasions. Paul speaks about it on a number of occasions. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, for example, he says, If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we reap your carnal things? In other words, if, if we're teaching you spiritual things, it's a good thing that we get back some carnal things, some physical things. If others be partakers of this power over you, if you pay them, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should not hinder the gospel of Christ. And so here he says, Paul and his companions, they hadn't been receiving a salary. And what the point he's making here is that they should have. Now, they didn't because they didn't want to hinder the gospel of Christ. And there are times that it's wise for maybe a pastor to not accept a salary if, if somehow that's going to hinder the gospel of Christ. But his point is, that's not normal. That's not what should be the, the normal case of events. So he goes on, he says, Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live off the things of the temple, and they which wait on the altar are partakers with the altar? Don't you know that when you, when you talk about pagan temples or when you talk about the temple in Jerusalem, the priests that minister there, they get paid for the sacrifices that they make, and they get to keep a portion of that sacrifice as their food. And so, so their service takes care of their living. That, that's just how it works. And the reason that he's having to say all this is because a lot of these people were saved out of paganism. So now they're not going to the temples. Now they're not paying the priests. Now they're not taking care of people that way. And so now when you come to the church, how does that all work? You're not, you're not paying for some sacrifice. You're not bringing meat to the altar and sacrificing it and then giving part of it to the priest. And so how does that person that's ministering, just like the other people were, and they're ministering the word of God, how do they sustain themselves? And Paul's answer is the same way. Those that, that are partakers of the altar get some, get paid there. And so the people who minister the word of God should receive a distribution from those who they minister to. And so the verse, in verse, verse 14 says, Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. That's what he's talking about there. And we, we see this again and again in scripture. First uh, Timothy 5.17 that the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in, the, in word and doctrine. So the ordinary practice of a church is to take care of. Now, the truth is, when I was, when I was growing up, and I looked at some of the verses that talked about Paul tent-making, and it talked about you know, Paul not receiving a salary, and, and kind of like, is that, is that what I should do? Is that how I'm supposed to live? But when you actually look at the bulk of Paul's teaching, every time that that happens, he's doing it because the church is not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And so he has to do it for a time. But the ordinary course of events is that... And so I, I say all that um, because I feel like, like we do have the freedom to say this very clearly and very boldly here because we have a church that does a great job of taking care of its leadership. And so this is a, this is a church that I can say this because I know you're already doing it. Okay? And, and I'm, we're very grateful for that. But before we just quickly move on to the next verse, I, I want to make one final point about what this is saying here. It talks about those who are teaching and, and those who are taught taking care of those who are teaching. And all I want to say is I think that extends beyond just this pulpit in this area. There, there is a lot of teaching that takes place in this church that's not just from behind here. You know, there's teaching in junior church, there's teaching in kids club, there's teaching in youth, there's, there's people that, that give and sacrifice their time and their effort to prepare lessons and do those kind of things to teach either you or your children. 
or other folks in this church. And so I think the Bible here would have you maybe not necessarily giving them a paycheck all the time, but certainly expressing gratitude. Let's not forget, let's be thankful for those who are willing to invest in us or in our, in our homes, in our families, in our children. You do a great job of taking care of us. We're grateful for that. Let's make sure we, can, we, we continue that with all areas of ministry here. Verse number seven. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Now, this verse, at first glance, seems like it comes almost out of nowhere. It's like all of a sudden, Paul decides to, to, to bear down and says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. And, and what a great statement this is. How is God not mocked? Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. See, what he's saying here is, there are people that won't follow the law of God. There are people that will laugh in God's face. There will people will be people who will revile God, who will think everything that God says in the word is crazy. You've met them. We, we know they exist. And we look at their lives and we think sometimes, man, they're doing so well. I mean, they, they, they lie, they steal, they cheat, and yet they have power, they have money, they have a boat, they have a nicer house than I do, they have, you know, on and on and on. How is this possible, God? How is this working? And, and look at those other people. They live life of, of sin and pleasure and you know what? It seems like they're just, they're, they're going out on Friday nights, they have a good time, and, and it, they never really experience too many consequences. It seems like they get to have all the fun, and we're stuck here, you know, going to church, singing 11 hymns in a row. <laughs> right? I mean, there's a lot of other things you could be doing with your Sunday night, isn't there? And so why, are, why, are, why does it seem sometimes like it's just not quite fair? Why does it seem sometimes that people can laugh in the face of God and mock his law and get away with it? And Paul's saying, Hey, folks, it's okay. God is not mocked. Okay? Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he reap. There will be justice. Do you know what the Bible tells us, and Pastor talked about this this morning, the idea of long-suffering. That we, are, we ought to be long-suffering. We don't need to re- respond in kind when people hurt us. Right? We can respond with kindness instead. But do you know what part of that Part of that whole thing is that God is a God of justice. And the Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. See, it's not that God wants us to just not worry about anything, that that justice doesn't matter. Justice does matter to God. And we need to remember that as, as those who have accepted the grace of God by faith, our justice meant Christ hanging on the cross. And so... I think what this verse is doing, first of all, is I think it's encouraging those Christians who look out and they see everybody else having a great time and, and being what they might consider successful and saying, don't worry, what's, what's being sowed will someday, there, there will be a harvest of that. There will be destruction. But what's interesting here is we remember that the audience is the church. There's churches in Galatia. And so it's believers hearing this. It's believers reading this. And he says to them, be not deceived. And I think he says that to him because it's very easy for us to be deceived. It's very easy for us to think, no, I got my own way. No, I can, I can figure this thing out. I, I don't need to spend all that time in the Word. I don't need to do all these things. I, I got this, this situation figured out. I don't need God for this one. It's very easy for us to be deceived. And so he says to them, listen, don't be deceived. 
What a man sows, he will reap. Do you know that, that I think a lot of times we, we wonder why our life is the way it is? There are so many situations we can't control. There are so many things that, that are out of our control. But there are a lot of things that we can control. About ourselves. I mean, we, can, we control how we react to things. I was so convicted this week. And if you would have asked me, I don't know, a couple months ago if I was a, a patient guy, I would have said, yeah, I, I'm, I'm okay. You know, I, I'm not, I, I wouldn't have responded really negatively. It would have been like, yeah, no, I, I, that's, that's not my biggest problem. <laughs> I have other things that are worse. Um, but it's just been the last week or couple weeks that I've noticed myself being impatient. And then the pastor obviously has to preach on long-suffering. Um, and really, it started when we were in the fruits of the Spirit, and the fruit is long-suffering, right? And then, so it's like, okay, yeah, a reminder, i, I got to do this. And I'm watching myself, and I'm finding out that I'm not really long-suffering, that I don't actually react. And this is what I was thinking this week. If my boys see me react poorly often enough, do you know what they're going to do? They're going to react the same way. And so then I, then I have kids that grow up, and they treat their brothers and sisters that way, reacting poorly, you have a household of, of people getting angry and, and kind of that, that kind of chaos and that destruction that comes when people say things they shouldn't say and, and hit and all those things. I don't hit. Don't. Um, but, and, then, and then you have them treating their future wives that way, right? And it's, it, it doesn't need to be like they're just going off and cussing and swearing and all this stuff. It can just be they're, they just don't have that long suffering that was spoken about this morning. And then they treat their children that way, my grandchildren. And they treat me that way. And, and it's just, do I realize, really, that the things that I'm sowing, the way that I'm acting today, has such an impact on the future? That there's all these people watching me, and all these people looking around me, and, and, and all of this is going to come back to me from God when I stand before him, and in my own life. Do we really get that there are consequences to our actions, that God is not mocked? So don't be deceived. Don't think that you can just get away with all this stuff. If you're a child of God, he's going to make sure you don't. Hey, Hebrews. Read Hebrews chapter 12. If God doesn't punish you when you do wrong, you're a bastard and not a son. That's what the Bible says. So know that there are consequences to what we do. What we reap, we shall sow. In fact, I think it's Hosea says, um, if we sow a wind, we will reap a whirlwind. And that's saying the wind is a negative thing. And you, you do a few negative actions and it comes back to you even with greater force. Worse than what you sowed. It, it's, sin has consequences. Especially for the believer. What you sow, you shall reap. Do not be deceived. Um, Thomas A. Kempis in the 15th century wrote a book called The Imitation of Christ. And he said, truly... At the day of judgment, we shall not be examined on what we have read, but by what we have done. Not how well we have spoken, but how religiously we have lived. And that's for him how holy he had lived. That's so true. Don't live this life based on just your feelings and how you want to react. Live this life with that day of judgment in mind. The day you'll stand before Christ and give an account for how you've, what you've done with, with the gifts and with the time that he's given you. I don't think we want to sow all these negative things because eventually we will reap that harvest. Galatians chapter 6, verse 8. 
For it says, For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. That word corruption is decay, and it's a picture of a de- decomposing body. And you've got a body that's decomposing, and if you sh- sow to the flesh, you'll reap. And, and the picture there is so clear because it's the flesh that will eventually decay and corrupt. If, if you're putting everything into yourself and your body and your, your physical life and nothing in your spiritual life, you realize that all of that is one day going to rot. It's going to stink. He says, but he that sows the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. There's life. You sow to the Spirit, you reap life. Not the, not the decay, not what the flesh brings, but eternal life. So how do I overcome my flesh? How do I walk by the Spirit? How do we do all the things that Paul's been telling us to do for the last few chapters? Well, my question for you is, where do you sow? If all you're ever doing is following your flesh, if all you're doing is sowing to the flesh, then why is it a surprise that your flesh has control over your life? It shouldn't be a surprise. It should be completely normal for us to understand why when I feed this appetite, the appetite grows. When I live my life for my flesh, it's my flesh that has control of me. It makes perfect sense. So why don't we do a better job of feeding our spirit, of sowing the spirit, of spending time with the Savior, spending time with God, spending time in his word? That's what brings us life. There are a hundred of different areas we can make application for this, a hundred different ways that we can sow to the spirit instead of the flesh. I want to just, just tackle one. If we take this area of devotions, and a devotions is something I think all of us know is a good idea. We all know that we should be doing it. But I would bet in an audience like this, there's a lot of us that struggle with doing it every day, that struggle with really actually taking the time aside setting time aside for the Lord and saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, I'm going to get into the Word, I'm going to maybe spend some time with, uh, with, a, with a book that's going to draw me closer to Christ. Right? So imagine if we were just to get really serious about our devotions. Um, I've read some autobiographies of different Christians that speak about them getting up two hours early at 4 a.m. to start praying so they can start their day off in prayer. My question for them is, what are you doing getting up at 6 a.m.? <laughs> Crazy. Um, but two hours early, imagine waking up at 4 a.m. Now, my goal today is not to, to get you to go home and wake up at 4 a.m. Hey, I think that's crazy. Um, if, you, if you felt led to do that, and you can do that, then, man, go you. Um, I can't. But I wonder if we were just to take 10 minutes a day in prayer. I mean, really, not just like, oh yeah, I, I prayed for a minute here before this meal and one here, and so I'm at three, right? And then, um, no, I mean like, like stop, have some requests in front of you. Think about the needs of our church. Look at the, the requests in the bulletin. Um, think about your family and friends and those who you know that aren't saved. Ten minutes, you can pray for a lot of things in ten minutes. And the great thing about 10 minutes is that it's not going to drag out forever. It's not like you've you got to like keep thinking about details about that situation because you don't know what to pray about. It's like you can, you can cover everything you need to cover and, and speak to the Lord about how wonderful and great he is in 10 minutes. That'd be, I mean, like 10 minutes a day, how much would that change your life? It, just spending that time with the Lord. You'd be sowing to the Spirit. And then you take 10 minutes and read the Word. 
I mean, just, just take 10 minutes. I'm not saying you have to read five chapters or anything like that. Just get into the Word, and the whole time you're in it, be looking for something you can meditate on that day. That 10 minutes in the Word would change your life. You read one or two chapters in that 10 minutes, and, and you can't get through any of the New Testament without getting something wonderful that you can meditate on. And so you spend your day thinking back to that, you know, just that one thing that God spoke to you about. Wouldn't that revolutionize how you live? I guarantee that if you found yourself doing this, all of a sudden you would find the things that the Spirit is dealing with in your life would be the things that you read that day. You would find that there's this this relationship that occurs where God is speaking to you through His Word just in that 10 minutes of reading. Now, if you want to read longer, that is wonderful. Go for it. What I'm saying is, if we would just sow to the Spirit more than we do a little bit, it would have great dividends. Imagine if then we took maybe 10 or 15 minutes and we had some kind of Christian devotional book or some type of theological book, and we just started reading that book. Now, that might, 10 minutes sounds like nothing, 10 or 15 minutes, but in a year, you would, if you're an average reader, which is about 250 to 300 words a minute is, is the average, so we'll go 250. If you read 250 words a minute, you'd be reading over 500 pages a year. You see, in a year, you'd get through like four or five books probably. I mean, if you had four or five books under your belt since you became a Christian, how much more do you think you know about Christ, know about the Word? How much closer do you think you'd be to Him? You see how if we just start sowing like little steps, start doing something, there are these huge harvests that we're, that we're going to reap. But you've got to start. This devotional time would transform our lives if we would just take it seriously. That is a total of 25 or 30 minutes a day. Take 30 minutes a day. That's the time it takes you to watch a sitcom. And you spend that sewing. That will be the most important 30 minutes you spend every day. And there, there is not a chance that you won't see God working in your life in that time. So why don't we do it? We don't do it because we're so busy taking care of our flesh. Isn't, like, there's no better answer than that, is there? Because there's, there's no chance that, that anybody in this room is so busy they can't carve out 30 minutes. So the 30 minutes that we don't spend sowing to our spirit is 30 minutes taking care of our flesh, most likely. I'm not, I'm not trying to say be legalistic about this. I'm not trying to say that if you, you know, don't spend exactly 30 minutes, then you're just terrible. If you miss a day, then it's all of it's going to go down the drain. What I'm saying is, this is a great chance for you to start sowing to the Spirit. So, sow to the Spirit. Um, we're getting really on in time. Um, we'll just read Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, and then we'll stop there. Paul says, And let us not be weary in well-doing. It is so easy for us to grow tired in doing what we know is right. But Paul says, Don't be weary Why, Paul? Why shouldn't I be weary? Why should I hold on? Why should I do what you're telling me to do? He says, for in due season, we shall reap if we faint not. He says, because there is a finish line. Because there is a harvest. Because someday we will reap what we sow. And if we will just keep sowing the Spirit, if we will just keep not being weary in well-doing, just doing what we know we're supposed to do, eventually all of it will pay off, all of it will be well more than worth it. 
So just don't quit. Don't give up. The harvest is coming. All right. Got like four pages left. So I'll, uh, I'll give you my three points quickly. Number one, you will grow the children you sow. If you're a parent, this is for you. If you're a grandparent, this is for you. You will grow the children you sow. If I am not disciplined, my children will not be disciplined. It is baloney if we try and say something like, do what I say and not what I do. They never do that. Do you know why our children make us so angry at times? It's because they bring out the worst in us, and they are the worst in us. I mean, that, that's exactly it. The, the times that I get most angry at my kids is, is when, first of all, I'm angry because I'm looking at myself and I'm going, why are you so wicked? <laughs> why are you acting like this? Um, I know better, right? I should know better. I'm an adult. I'm a pastor. <laughs> um, and, and then the things that I see that they're doing wrong are things that they've learned from me. You grow the children you sow. And so I think it's probably worth the effort for us to try and have our kids grow up to love the Lord and to serve the Lord. And listen, there are no absolute promises, but there are a lot of principles in Scripture that lead us to believe that if we will love our children and and put the time into them and um, teach them the Word of God, that they will walk in it as they get older. And so um, there are, I'm not going to get but there are so many studies that have been done and they talk about why children are leaving churches, and it's like all the, the church's responsibility to figure out what programs we need and what we need to be teaching. And do you know what they find? When there's a, a father and a mother that love Christ, and they're dedicated, they pray together, that they're serious about their faith, that even some of those kids that seem to wander eventually come back. I mean, they, they grow up in their parents' faith. And so you have a, a massive impact on your children, far greater than, than they would like you to believe. And so you will grow the children that you sow. If I fake it at church, they will fake it better. And they will fake it all all the way until the day they decide that this is not worth doing. And then they'll be gone. You can't fake it. It's got to be real. If If they see that you love Christ so much, that you spend time with him in his word, that you serve other people, that you serve at the church, that that this is not just a, a tradition for you, if they see that in your life, do you know what's going to happen? They're going to want to know what's so great about Christ. They're going to want to know the Savior who is that great to you. They're going to want to do the same thing. We will grow the kids we sow. Number two, we grow the relationships we sow. Um, if you're a good friend, you will likely find good friends. If you're a fair-weathered friend, your friends will be fair-weathered. That, that's just how it is. Um, listen, I know there are a lot of relationships and there are a lot of difficulties and there are a lot of things that, you know, it, you can't, obviously you can't address them all in a, in a setting like this. But we talk about our marriages and there are sometimes very difficult spouses, but your job is to be committed and to love and to serve your spouse like Christ has called you to. And that is sometimes going to be the most difficult job you're called to in your Christian life. But what's wonderful is this principle of sowing and reaping, I think it applies to all areas of our lives. And there'll be times that it feels like all you ever do is sow and there's no harvest. But we've got to believe the promises of Scripture. 
if rather than focusing on all the things that your spouse isn't, if we could just try and pour our lives into to what we're supposed to be and to sowing good things, there'll be a harvest. God will bless that. And, and he might not always bless that in exactly the way you want, but he will bless it in some way. You grow the relationship you sow. Um, when we're talking about with our friends and our neighbors and seeing other people come to Christ, the best evangelism is evangelism that happens when we're forming relationships. And so if you want to see fruit from those relationships, you've got to put, you've got to love people. You've got to serve them. You've got to get out there because you grow the relationships that you sow. And finally, you grow the legacy that you sow. We will grow the legacy we sow. There is so much in this life that is outside of our control. Um, you can't control cancer. You can't control so much of your health. Your heart could stop beating at any moment. And you never know when tragedy will strike your family. There's a lot of people that have experienced that. They know that's true. Circumstances are not our responsibility. What our family, what our friends, what our church family, what those around us will remember about our lives when we're gone is how we reacted to those circumstances. Did you love the Lord throughout your life? Did you sow to the Spirit? Because you can sow to the Spirit in every circumstance. And you can sow to the flesh in every circumstance. And so if everything is great, ask yourself the question, am I sowing the spirit? Because that's the legacy that I will leave. If everything is great and you're still sowing the flesh, it might seem wonderful around you right now, but what kind of legacy are you leaving? Sometimes when you go to a funeral, you see people talk about how much this person loved their car or how much they loved this sport, or usually there's something that, that seems to define that person's life, right? And, and some, a lot of those things aren't bad things, and I'm all for having hobbies, but when you have your funeral, how do you want people to, to think about your life? You want them to think, oh man, that person just loved red cars, old cars, baseball, is that what we want people to remember about us? Because this is, we're talking about our, our legacy. What, are, what people are going to remember about us? There are some people in this church that if they were to die tomorrow, there would, I mean, I wouldn't remember conversations I had with them. I wouldn't remember what they believe about a lot of things. But I would remember how much they loved Christ. And that would be the thing that would just jump off the page. And that would be the thing that every time I think about that person, and they love Christ, they, I believe they prayed for me. That's a wonderful legacy to leave. And so what are we sowing? Because this life is just a, it's just a blink, right? It's just a drop. It's a vapor. Here's for a little time and vanishes away. And so what are you leaving? Next year, Lord willing, Tara will plant a vegetable garden. And you know what we're going to grow? Whatever she plants, right? You know what you're going to grow in your life? Whatever you plant. And so start planting, start sowing to the spiritual. Let's pray.